Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, it debuts this Sunday, and I've got a sneak peek review of season four of The Crown. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. I finished The Queen's Gambit over on Netflix. I'll have a final review on that. Plus, one of my favorite shows is coming to an end after 15 seasons. We'll tee up the last hurrah, or should I say the last ride, for Supernatural. So a little over three weeks ago, I embarked upon a bit of a daunting journey with the goal of reaching the finish line for this very moment. I started watching The Crown, which debuts its fourth season on Netflix this Sunday, and I did indeed reach the finish line. So I've got to review a spoiler-free review of season four of The Crown. Your Majesty. I think we have enough respect for one another personally to ask ourselves some of the bigger questions. Woman to woman. We are the same age after all. Really? Just six months between us. Oh? And who is the senior? I am. Ma'am. Gillian Anderson in the role of British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, with Olivia Colman continuing on as the Queen after taking over from Claire Foy in Season 3. This season is set in the late 70s through the 80s, where the nation is feeling the effect of some challenging and hardline policies introduced by Britain's first female Prime Minister, and tensions arise between Thatcher and Her Majesty. Two women running the shop. That's the last thing this country needs. Perhaps that's precisely what this country needs. My goal is to change this country from being dependent to self-reliant, and I think in that I am succeeding. Joblessness, recession, crises. It's a dangerous game to make enemies left, right, and center. Not if one is comfortable with having enemies. Are you? Oh, yes. And while Anderson is tremendous as Thatcher, the real draw here, the reason why I figured I should finally watch this show, is I suspect a lot more people will watch this show now because season four also contains Princess Diana. One day, dear boy, you shall be king. Your duty now was the choice of a woman that people will love as a princess. And in due course, as queen. Prince Charles is not yet married. The family wants to ensure the line of succession shall continue, which means he needs to find a bride, and they need to start kicking out some spawn. He meets young Lady Diana Spencer, played by Emma Corrin, and while that romance on the surface provides a fairy tale to the British people, and quite frankly, the people of the world... Behind closed doors, it is anything but happy for pretty much everyone. How many times can this family make the same mistake? I am the son of Paying the consequences each time. Of nothing in particular. All I want is to be loved. It's all any of us want from you. What does one have to do to get some kindness in this family? In time, she will give up her fight and bend, as they all do. And if she doesn't bend, what then? She will break.
The cast once again includes Tobias Menzies as Queen Elizabeth II's husband, Prince Philip, Helena Bonham Carter as the Queen's sister, Princess Margaret, and Charles Dance as Lord Mountbatten. Charles Dance, by the way, Tywin Lannister from Game of Thrones. Menzies, too, was in Game of Thrones. He played Edmure Tully. So here we go. My review ahead of Sunday's Season 4 debut, and again, spoiler-free. This season, this series... It's quite frankly a lot to digest, having watched all 40 episodes in just over three weeks. It is an incredibly complex family drama. And the older all these characters get, the worse they are to each other, whether they mean to be or not. And hey, that's good. It's, it makes for an excellent family drama. And given it's about the royal family, everything you see on screen is just exquisite. The costumes, the sets, the locations. The costumes, for example, there's one scene that lasts maybe 20 seconds. I don't even know where they were or what they were doing there, but the queen was in some really fancy regalia and we only saw her in that outfit for that one shot. So the care that they put into this show is just incredible. The performances are also incredible top to bottom. If I had a complaint, not just about season four, but about the series as a whole is that I found it difficult to binge. For me, and this is just for me personally, but for me, a binge-worthy show is one that makes you desperate to see what happens next. This show is not plot-based. I mean, yeah, there's a sort of an overarching story, but it's a character-driven show, often with slower moments of introspection. Again, that's all well and good. It's really good. But I never felt this need to watch the next episode because I had to see what's coming. Yesterday, of course, I needed to watch the last four episodes so I could do this review, but as much as I enjoyed it all... I'm also quite happy to put the crown behind me for a while until season five. But that's my only complaint. Season four was a vast improvement on season three, which wasn't bad. It just wasn't as good, I think, as the first two seasons. And that's what a lot of people have told me. They liked season three the least. Tough for me to say where season four stacks up overall. But I can tell you that Rotten Tomatoes so far has it ranked number one. 97% for season four, 90% for season three, 89% for season two, and 88% for season one. The main thing about this season that I found, if if there was a theme, for me it seemed to be the power dynamic between the three women who ruled Great Britain during this time frame. The Queen, who is, of course, well, the Queen, Margaret Thatcher, Prime Minister, and Princess Diana, who just through her charm, beauty, and kindness captures the hearts of pretty much anyone who sees her or meets her. And while she has no actual power, it's clear who the people love, and that unto itself is power. I will start first, though, with Anderson as Thatcher. My first impression was that her performance was a bit much, but I say again, it was my first impression, because I found her to be doing more of an impersonation than a performance, and it seemed to be bordering on cartoonish, but I've also never seen Anderson do anything else other than use her normal, silky, smooth voice. I mean, she's an elegant woman, always plays elegant, smooth characters, not to suggest that her Thatcher is inelegant, but her voice definitely is unique. So it was kind of jarring at first, but that feeling quickly went away and the performance really is to be commended. You know, the voice, the mannerisms, she really does immerse herself into that role. And she goes toe-to-toe with Olivia Coleman's queen several times. Uh, sometimes the tension is just unbearable. So that's also good. Diana, meanwhile, played by Emma Corrin, never heard of her. 
She's a relative newcomer, too. She's only appeared in a handful of things, including the Batman-inspired series Pennyworth about Batman's butler, Alfred Pennyworth. That was on Showcase, I believe, but I never got around to watching that. Uh, She brings a wide-eyed innocence to the mix, as well as immense sadness, as she realizes all too quickly that anyone who gets caught up in the royal family tends to get crushed. The family's rules and protocols and laws, etc., just essentially make most of them unhappy. And because one is unhappy, another is unhappy, and the dominoes fall. Charles is unhappy, thinks he falls for Diana, but he's just so clearly unhappy, and he spends most of the season moping and whining, and it's this season that took what was very much, I thought, a sympathetic character and just made him a whiny jerk. I mean, I get it. He just wants some love from his family. In the clip, he was the one who said, what would it take to get some kindness from this family? And there are repeated instances in this season where neither of his parents can seem to be bothered with him. So yeah, he's got a complex. But because of that complex now, Diana is unhappy. It's also fascinating because the royal family, to me as a whole, was a sympathetic character. These people were thrust into the spotlight that they never really expected. Uh, They are all learning to navigate their complicated life. And I felt bad for many of them in those first couple of seasons. But they're getting older. They're more stuck in their ways. They're more snobby. The queen is all but totally disconnected from her kids, from her people. Heck, even the real world. There's this great gag where she doesn't know a popular musician, and the way she pronounces his name is priceless. The whole thing kind of left me not really liking the family anymore at all. But in spite of so many of them being complete jerks to everyone or being oblivious as to how their actions are hurting people, they all do have their own complicated reasons for their misery and uh, their good reasons. Tough to imagine how anyone could be happy in that family or in that world. So again, marvelous performances all around. I would expect a handful of Emmy nominations for sure. Won't be surprised if they sneak off with a Best Drama of the Year award for this effort. It is just excellent. So I'm going to give Season 4 of The Crown four and a half couch cushions out of five. Almost perfect if it would just move along faster. But again, that's just me. And again, I watched 40 episodes in just over three weeks. Whereas if you're a fan of the show, you are probably dying to see this fourth season. New cast again for season five, by the way. Imelda Staunton will take over as queen. Also, no idea why they're debuting this on Sunday. Netflix usually rolls out its big shows, its flagship shows on Fridays. But it looks like even The Crown season three debuted on a Sunday as well. So something to look forward to on Sunday. Jeff, uh, you ever going to take a stab at this, you think? I think well, I think I'll wait until we get closer to season five, just uh, for you know, like I always say, just so it'll be fresh in my head because I'll forget everything by then. I, I do like uh, that Imelda Staunton's going to take over as a queen. I really like her. I really like Olivia Coleman too. So the casting seems spot on for a lot of the characters in this. So I, I will get to it eventually. Just. Probably not not in the next little while. Yeah, they have just top-shelf actors across the board in this show. Uh, and seasons five and, and six will be its final season. So in the final two seasons, it'll be an all-new cast once again. But in the meantime, season four debuts Sunday. If you watch it, enjoy. And up next, we're moving from the queen to the queen's gambit. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We talked about it a bit last week. We're going to talk about it a little bit more right now. It's the Netflix show, The Queen's Gambit. Men are going to come along and want to teach you things. Doesn't make them any smarter. You just let them blow by, and you go on ahead and do just what and how you feel like. 
Someday you're going to be all alone. So you need to figure out how to take care of yourself. Tell the readers of life how it feels and to be a girl. Among all those men. I don't mind it. Chess isn't always competitive. Chess can also be beautiful. I finished The Queen's Gambit on Netflix this week, which is the fastest I've watched anything new in quite some time. Last week I had seen, I think, two or three episodes when we talked about it. And I mean, it's only seven episodes, but I did it all in a week, which is good for me. It wasn't the, nearly the feat that uh, you had there, Brett, with The Crown. I don't like binging new shows. I prefer to sort of savor them. I also find if it's a recurring show as opposed to a miniseries, my retention levels are far better if I don't binge. So with The Queen's Gambit, I did end up watching... Uh, uh, ended up somewhere in the middle between those two things, watching sort of one a night over a week, although the first day I watched two to really get into it. And it's beginning from fantastic from beginning to end. Easily one of the most successful full seasons of anything I've seen on Netflix. We often complain about the lag in the middle of a lot of their shows, but this did not have that for me. Again, helps that it's only seven episodes and not 10 or 13. Maybe Netflix is finally understanding that, uh, you know, and asking showrunners and creators to be a little more judicious in their cutting. If you've not seen it yet, I do highly recommend it. It's been at or near the top of the Netflix top 10 for a couple of weeks now. The show is about a woman named Beth, a young woman who grows up in a Kentucky orphanage in the 50s. She's a chess prodigy, and she goes on to take on some of the best players in the world. She navigates this new world of chess, and then she also navigates the world at large as her home life situation is never simple, not just at the orphanage, but before and after as well. Anya Taylor-Joy giving a star-making turn as Beth and her many layers. Besides all the great character stuff in the show, it's also sort of like a sports movie. There's a lot of games and tournaments, and the action is shot in a variety of different ways, so it's always interesting. It always sort of feels fresh. And just like so many sports movies do, the big games feature play-by-play -play announcers. I don't know, maybe we could get to get a chorus to hire some people to call chess matches on the radio, Brett. That'd be a fun thing to listen to. Maybe, I don't know. Down we're doing goes it in the, the show. bishop. Down yeah. goes the bishop. Knight to King 4. Look at that. Was, Boom. <laughs> uh, the show is one of the best looking shows I've ever seen. The production design and costumes are phenomenal. Really putting you in the 50s and 60s in places like Lexington, New York, Paris, and Moscow. It's just great stuff all around. A lot of twists and turns. You're often not sure what she's going to do or where the story's going to go. And then it, I, I thought it concluded with a very satisfying ending. It's based on a novel. It's been marketed as a standalone miniseries, but things that are good like this that a lot of people watch, you know, just they tend to come back whether that was the initial intention or not. So that's a million dollar question. Should it come back? I'm sort of leaning towards no on this one. It's pretty perfect entity right now. They can only really go downhill with a second season. I mean, they could maintain it, but I don't think they could do better. And why risk it and taint the whole thing? Like take the handmaid's tale, for instance, that first season was phenomenal. It was a tough watch at times, but wow, what a story, and it was so well done. The second season was an even tougher watch, and the ending was kind of dumb, and I just couldn't handle more of it, so I stopped watching. Um, there's also the source material factor, season one of Handmaids, based on the Margaret Atwood novel. After that, the TV people had to make it up as they were going along, although I think they, she did write another book, but I don't know that the show based their 
seasons on that book. And I think most of game most Game of Thrones fans would say the seasons that stick with the books are probably a little better than the ones that came later, that where the showrunners are making everything up on their own. On the other hand, there's a show like The Leftovers, that first season based on a book, but then they went their own way after that. And seasons two and three were considerably better than season one. So there's no definitive answer on any of that. I, d- I do think the risk-reward ratio, though, leans too far on the risky side of things. So I would say leave it at one season. And again, if you've not seen it, I do highly recommend checking out The Queen's Gambit over on Netflix. Right on. Uh, That is on my list. I hope to watch that soon, but I do have a few things I need to catch up on. For example, that global TV series Departure, but that plane that went down, I've been meaning to get to that uh, because I think the finale was this week, so I should be able to get through that. It was six episodes. Uh, So just want to quickly mention here, what do we got coming to uh, home video this week? Well, speaking of Anya Taylor-Joy, she and speaking of Game of Thrones, Maisie Williams uh, star in The New Mutants, that terrible by all accounts (laughs) X-Men movie that uh, hit theaters (laughs) sort of this summer. That's on Digital HD and on Blu-ray and then over are also on Digital HD and on Blu-ray. Unhinged, that Russell Crowe Angry Driver Revenge movie, which I saw, and it's kind of good. It's definitely worth a rent. It it was fun to see Russell Crowe going nuts. Up next, we want to tell you about something cool that is coming to a galaxy near you just in time for the holidays. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and Star Wars is going back to something they tried a long time ago, a holiday special. Only this time, it's the Lego version. Was the night before life day in a galaxy far, far away. Looking good. Tree, food, decorations. Coming together, heroes were to celebrate the day. Please be a cape. Please be a cape. It's a wrap. For Ray, adventure called, and she thought it would be fast. Wow. But there she found a key to the galaxy's past. Sorry. Oh, Master Luke, what are you doing? It's the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special. The reference to Life Day from Yoda at the beginning there comes from the live-action Star Wars Holiday Special from 1978, which was famously terrible. You can find it on YouTube, despite George Lucas's efforts over the years to destroy every copy of it. In that special, the gang celebrated Life Day with Chewbacca and his family and had drop-ins from famous guests like... B. Arthur. I'm sure she was thrilled to be there. In this new Lego special, Ray finds a magic key that lets her visit all the different timelines and storylines in the Star Wars world. This is so cool! We've seen my master. My master's master. Concentrate. My master's father. Impressive. My master's father's master. Emperor Palpatine? Hmm? I don't believe it! Uh... You think maybe you could put a shirt on? It's a key to travel across space and time. <laughs> I will change the future. So sure are you. Mm-hmm. Less talky-talky, more fighty-fighty. So it sort of covers everything Star Wars, even Baby Yoda from The Mandalorians in it. And again, it's all Lego style. It looks cool and debuts on Disney Plus this Tuesday. A time of joy. This is Ray! a friendship, a family. Are you guys? Master Skywalker. My son. I mean, my, these binary sons. Unta, unta, solos? You want to shoot first? After you. This so looks there great. You go. I look, I love this. I love it. I can't wait to watch this. <laughs> 
and it's a Christmas special too. And so I'm, I'm sort of excited to start watching Christmas stuff soon. So I think I'm excited about it too. It does look cool. I hope it's not too long. I, I can't imagine it will be. Yeah. If it's a, a Lego Disney cartoon, anything, usually those don't go longer than 90 minutes just to, to hold the attention span of the, the little ones. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I gotta, I don't know that I ever watched the Lego movie. I've never seen the Lego movie, or I've got the sequel on Blu-ray. They sent it to us over at Warner Brothers. I haven't watched it. I did see the Batman Lego movie, and I thought that was really cool. That was a lot of fun. Oh, yes, that's right. You saw the the Batman one. But yeah, I haven't watched any of these Lego movies yet, but uh, by all accounts, they all look tremendous. The animation is great, and they always have such a a great tongue-in-cheek sense of humor where they poke fun, like lovingly poke fun at the material that they're enjoying and the fact that that they're going to combine all these different timelines of star wars i think is super fun so that's uh, uh that'll be welcome a welcome treat in time for the holidays now did you ever see the original one the from the, the late 70s i guess it came out after a, a new hope but before empire strikes back it was just part of you know the never-ending insane anything with star wars on it we got to do it to make some more money kind of thing so they made that this Christmas special is just terrible. Do you ever see it? No, I haven't. Have you? I've seen bits of it just on YouTube or whatever. I couldn't bring myself to watch the whole thing because it's just all too sad. But I think uh, there's a lot of movies where it looks like Harrison Ford would rather not be there, but this has got to just take the cake for that because they must have had to drag him kicking and screaming, screaming to the set of that to do it. It's so stupid. Oh, boy. Yeah, poor George Lucas uh, trying to find it and eliminate it, but... <laughs> Yeah, uh, all accounts I've heard it is just just dreadful. So maybe this Lego special will help wash away the stain from that. Also, just want to quickly uh, say hello to young Ben. There's a name from the Star Wars universe, Ben Kenobi. Ben Forte, happy 10th birthday to you, sir. Your mom, Kristen, reached out to the Couch Potatoes to ask us to wish you a happy birthday celebrating this weekend. So hopefully, if you like Star Wars, you got the Disney Plus. And if you don't have Disney Plus, then uh, hey, mom... It's uh, Ben's birthday. Get him some Disney Plus so he can watch Star Wars, would you? Hey, I also got to mention coming up this upcoming Thursday. So we're recording this right now on Thursday, November 12th. So I haven't even seen the second last episode yet because it airs tonight for us on Thursday. But you're hearing this on the weekend, likely, which means there's only one episode left of one of my favorite shows of all time, 15 years in the making on its way to the finale of Supernatural. My name is Dean Winchester. It's my brother Sam. We kill monsters. November 19th. It's the two-hour Supernatural series finale event. It's been this amazing ride. Not bad, huh? Starting with a look back at some of the most memorable moments. I am so proud of you boys. I'm going to be crying the entire time today. And a final episode that will leave you breathless. Are you sure you're ready for this? You do anything for a long period of time. You kind of feel it when it comes to an end. Judgment Day is coming. Judgment Day is coming for you. He and I and everybody here just want to say thank you. You fought for us. You loved us. That's enough. Here's to running into you guys on the other side. Super
Supernatural two-hour series finale Thursday, November 19th, free next day only on the CW app. It is finally here because this uh, the season would have wrapped up much earlier this year, but they had to shut down production with just a handful of episodes left to film because of the pandemic. But yeah, there's, I didn't start watching Supernatural when it first started airing 15 years ago, but I started when the fifth season was on. So uh, we re- like I, my then-girlfriend and I rented all the DVDs for the first four seasons, and then we just saved all of the episodes of season five on the PVR and plowed through those. But this Wait, is... did you just say rented DVDs? Yes, rented DVDs. Remember that? My, how the world has changed. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, it was cool to be able to go. And we thought it was so cool that we could rent seasons of TV yeah. shows and didn't have to actually go out and buy them. But, uh, yeah, we rented, uh, we, because I think you could rent, like, uh, you didn't even have to rent the whole season at a time. You could get one disc and watch, like, four episodes and go back and get another one or whatever. But, yeah, this show started, it's funny that it's gone 15 years, because its roadmap was always intended to be five seasons. They had a five-season master plan, should they last that long, and that was going to be it. And I remember reading an article in Entertainment Weekly about from the, the brothers who were fully ready to go on and do other things. And then the network renewed it for a sixth season and they kind of had to sort of pivot a little bit at the end and, and slightly alter the ending to make that possible. And it's had some rough patches along the way. Some of its seasons, like season six, for example, from what I remember was not very good at all. So it's had some really good seasons. It's had some stinker seasons, but the one thing that has been consistent through this show is that it's fun. I mean, it's about two, it's about two brothers who hunt monsters. Like it's a pretty basic show in that sense when you break it down to what is the essence of this show. But of course it's not just about two brothers hunting monsters. It's about demons and angels and even God himself. I mean, that is who they are facing off against in the finale. They have to find a way to defeat God. So I'm very, very much excited, and I'm going to miss it, and part of me wants to go back and start over, but that's like 400 episodes. That's a that's lot. Ins- <laughs> that's insane. I thought the Cheers thing was going to be more than I could chew when I you know, took a bite out of that earlier in the pandemic, and that was, that's only that's nowhere near as much as the Supernatural, plus the Supernatural episodes are twice as long as the Cheers episodes. That's right. Yeah, that's right, because sitcoms are the half, 22 minutes, I guess, and the episodes of Supernatural will clock in about 42, 44 minutes apiece. So one day, I think I will go back and revisit Supernatural. And now that I think of it, I think there's still a couple of episodes in season one that I didn't get to. Uh, I think there was something wrong with the disc that we rented. <laughs> it was scratched, I think, so I couldn't quite finish that season. So, yeah, I do have to go back at the very least and rewatch that first season. But it has, it's not the best show on TV, and it is one of the most one of the lowest rated television shows on TV, but its audience is insanely loyal and rabid, and I count myself among them, so I will enjoy the finale, and I will very much miss uh, seeing the Winchester brothers on TV. In a moment, Jeff is going to dip into the sludge for, would you say it's an underrated sequel, Jeff? I would say it's a properly rated sequel. A pro- <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm curious to see what Jeff has next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad, he's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes, and I never thought I'd be so excited to play an old Bobby Brown song. But uh, there is a specific reason. Too hot to handle, too cold to hold. They call the Ghostbusters and the end can 
Now, I don't know if you remember that song, Bobby Brown, On Our Own. I actually owned it. I may still own it. I don't know if I still have my old cassette tapes, but I own this on cassette single because it was uh, one of the main songs from which movie, Jeff Braun? Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, and there's no subtitle. It's just Ghostbusters 2. That's right. So I, I don't remember this song at all. I, I I remember seeing the movie, but I didn't. This song, you know, obviously didn't take off like the original Ghostbusters theme did, despite uh, Bobby Brown's best efforts. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that the main song that I think of when I think of Bobby Brown is uh, either My Prerogative, which came out before this, or then later on, uh, he had a song called Humpin' Around, which uh, I also <laughs> ended up purchasing on cassette single. I bought that in uh, Minnesota, I believe. Did you ever cut your cut your hair like him? Uh, not like him, but I, I had like, I think he had lines sort of shaved into the side. Yeah. I did that too, but not because Bobby Brown did it. Just that's what everybody did. And just looking at the pictures, it looks stupid, really, really stupid. But uh, yeah. what, So what did you think, Ghostbusters 2? Well, the week before Halloween, I, I showed the original Ghostbusters to my girlfriend's sons, and they're 13 and 10, and they liked it quite a bit. So the next week uh, on Halloween weekend, we watched, I said, well, let's watch Ghostbusters 2. And I'm not even kidding. They like it better than Ghostbusters 1. And my jaw dropped when they told me that. I was just, I, it was, it's okay. And I sort of, you know, abide it or whatever. It's very much, um, they, when Ghostbusters 1 was a huge hit, for Ghostbusters 2, they're like, well, we got to make it more family-friendly. So it's much less frightening or scary, period. And the, 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 like in Ghostbusters 1, they smoke. They chain smoke through that whole movie. Oh, that yeah. is not the case in Ghostbusters 2 at all. The language is toned way down in Ghostbusters 2. And uh, all the ghosts look a little much less threatening than they do in Ghostbusters 1. And then the big bad is just like a painting that comes to life and... Uh, and there's a bunch of orange goo in underneath the city or whatever. And it's just, it's really, it's so much more of a kid's movie than the first one is. So that sort of still bugs me. And yeah, it's just, it, it's just not nearly as good a movie on, on every front as the first one. So it, it really sort of, it's got the stink of, we just, we're just trying to cash in on the popularity of the first one. It's cause I mean, it was the eighties and it was a sequel. So you sort of expect that. So when these kids told me, Oh, we like ghostbusters two better than ghostbusters one. And their favorite one is the new ghostbusters from five years ago with uh, Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy. So I think the special effects play a big part in whether or not the kids like these movies. Mm, that's fair. And it's funny because I remember when I first watched ghostbusters two, I think I found it scary. Uh, I don't know if it was scarier, but that painting gave me the heebie-jeebies uh, because it's such a menacing-looking guy. And there were yeah. there were elements of that movie that I found really scary, but you're right. When I did go, eventually went back and watched it again as an adult, I think, quite frankly, I thought it sucked. I thought it was terrible. But it's been years again since I saw it, so I, I am curious to watch it again because based on your glowing review re-review of Ghostbusters, that inspired me to watch that Actually, on Halloween night, I watched Ghostbusters, and I had a blast. I realized I have not watched that movie in its entirety in either 10, maybe even 15 years. It's such a marvelous movie. So, yeah, great stuff. All right. The other thing we wanted to talk about quickly before uh, the show ends is two weeks ago, I said I wasn't going to binge my MCU rewatch, but I finished Phase 1 this week, which is the first six movies. You threatened my world with war. You might not be glad that you did. <laughs> What have I to fear? Let's do a head count. A couple of master assassins 
the demigod. A super soldier. And you've managed to piss off every single one of us. I have an army. We have a Hulk. That, of course, is the first Avengers movie. A podcast I listen to called Binge Mode is doing a series on the MCU movies, so I've been sort of following their schedule. I don't know that I can keep it up for all 23 movies, but I finished Phase 1 this week. It's been a very interesting rewatch. The movies don't feel dated like the way that you know, those Ghostbusters movies do with the hair and clothes and computers and phones and everything. But the MCU has come a long way since its relatively humble beginnings. The six movies comprising the first phase, of course, were the two Iron Man movies, The Incredible Hulk, Thor, the first Captain America, and the Avengers. I ended up renting The Incredible Hulk. That thing just isn't streaming anywhere because Universal has distribution rights, blah, blah, blah. And while the teaser at the end of Iron Man, the first one, already introduces the idea of the Avengers, it really starts to feel like it's coming together with Thor as Hawkeye appears and Stellan Skarsgård, who plays a part in the Avengers movies in it, and of course Loki, who's the main villain of the Avengers. And then, but until we get to that first Avengers movie, there are pretty small-scale adventures um, Iron Man and Captain America, of course, are origin stories. And even in the other movies, there's a lot of introductions, of course. And I imagine that even though they've all been successful, I don't know that the filmmakers really had a blank check to go nuts with those early movies. They also feel kind of safe. And by that, I mean they stick to their story and clearly rely mostly on the action to carry the movies. They feel a little bit stiff compared to some of the later ones. Like, there are some laughs in Thor, but it's not half the comedy that Thor Ragnarok is. Later movies would also figure out how to make Captain America a little more cool and a little more relaxed. Iron Man's, you know, pretty relaxed from the beginning. He's very charismatic. There's a lot of humor. But even that is going to get taken up a notch with Iron Man 3, which is next on my list. So those early Phase 1 movies, still great. A lot of fun. They have not yet achieved their full potential. Until the end of Phase 1, when we got that first full Avengers movie, it's easy to see why that hit like a ton of bricks. It really was a huge step forward in the spectacle department for these movies and the humor department and the story department. It ties everyone together, delivering on all the little teases along the way, and then it delivers its own mid-credit tease, which is the first mid-credit tease in the series, where we see Thanos for the first time, and of course his shadow just looms over the rest of the series all the way to Endgame. So I'm looking forward to continuing along with that, Brett. Well, now I feel like I need to go back and rewatch Phase 1 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that's all the time we've got. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.